All right. Welcome to Imposters Anonymous. Thanks for joining. If you are new to the show, I would like to take a moment just to encourage you to jump back to the very first episode of the project. It's a brief intro. It's about six or seven minutes long, but provides some really helpful context just about the nature of this project and how it differs from most. So I think it's context worth having going into any episode. But for those of you who are return listeners, thanks for coming back. And if you'd like to just skip the housekeeping altogether, totally understandable, no hard feelings, but just jump forward and listen for the music. But for those of you who would like to stick around, I do have a few updates. So the Substack is alive and well. For those of you who have been deriving some real or meaningful value from the show and would be interested in some additional supplemental content or a space to support the show or the project in general, that's going to be your best place to do that, as well as anyone who would be interested in exploring, sharing some of their own content in an anonymous format or contributing to the show. In time, I am trying to build more of a sense of community around the concept of just creating a space for individuals to more genuinely share themselves with the world without fear of judgment or insecurity or limitations around identity. So if that resonates with you at all, there's definitely a space for that. That's impostersanonymous.substack.com. Any work submissions would go to impostersanonymous at gmail.com. Ultimately, I'd, I'd love for this project to be able to grow into something that's truly collaborative and even where submissions could be rewarded for their merit or for their response from the community. But that and other broad or ambitious aims I have for this project are truly dependent on listener support. So of course it goes without saying, but any of it is truly appreciated no matter what support looks like for you as an individual. I guess I'll leave it at that. And if you're still here, thanks for hanging in. And I hope you enjoy the show. You don't know how lucky you are being a monkey. The past is just a story we tell ourselves. Welcome to Imposters Anonymous. Mark, thanks for doing this. Dude, I'm happy to be here. You got an interesting uh, idea going. I'm happy to be a part of it. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, how you feeling today? It's been a pretty interesting day. <laughs> it's interesting. Some ups and downs. Yeah. No, I mean, that's that's totally fine. I feel like it's it's often people's default to just... At least for me, I often feel like I respond the same way every time. And I try to get out of that habit when people ask me how I'm doing. And it's just like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. Or I'm all right. Or, you know, whatever it is. And most time that's not totally honest. But uh, I feel like it's okay to have a little bit of a, a gray response there. Dude, I, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, for me in my life, 
as someone who's faced social anxiety, this generally speaking, it's a negative thing. But um, but I think the interesting part about that is like I feel like my brain has like this superpower of where it's like constantly thinking about like like mm. how other people perceive me right and like all of the different potential identities I could be and then when someone runs across me randomly and I'm just like hey how are you doing I'm like good whatever mm-hmm. and it's interesting but I just say that because um like there's so many people out there who you know I think um are just operating under just like a very narrow window of like what our society thinks is okay or like, you know, general small talk or banter. Mm -hmm. And for me, uh, you know, I'm just, that stuff isn't interesting. You know, I'm not an extrovert. I'm not so, I'm not someone out here who can, you know, make small talk. I mean, I can for sure, for sure. Mm -hmm. I can, cause I've learned how to, but um, yeah, thank you for listening to my <laughs> long, random, random answer to you. I don't even know if you asked me a question or what. Yeah, no, no worries. I mean, I, I think I led you that way a little bit. And I guess what I was even getting at personally, I, I often feel like it's, I guess it's twofold. Like maybe I often feel like it's maybe a burden to actually be honest. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, right? <laughs> where, where if I really were to tell uh, every single person who asked how I was doing, how I'm really doing, the nature of everything that I'm carrying right now. I, I don't think that's what they're really fishing for. I don't think that most times, you know, a friendly person at the grocery store is just like, hi, how are you? They're, they're looking for fine, thank you. Um, they're trying to be kind and they're not looking for you to launch into everything that you have going on. So oh, it, it really depends on who's asking, right? <laughs> that sounds like that would be like a good like TV show or something, or like an episode where... People mm. just answer like with like the deepest instead of the most shallow. And it's, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I think the biggest thing is that obviously everyone's life is different. And like there's people, for example, who are like doctors um, mm-hmm. who, for example, like see people get basically killed. I mean, not killed, but people die in front of them every single day. Yeah, for you sure. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and, you know, one could even potentially argue and even say that like maybe the reason why many people are facing the pain and the the severity of their situation is maybe because of the fact that as like a society, we don't really want to talk about it. And so then finally, mm-hmm. when we do talk about it, it's like super serious where, right. I mean, obviously I'm not saying we should talk about this stuff every single moment of every day. You have to have some right. kind of like normal talk, but it's interesting. It's very interesting. I'm feeling right. very introspective today. So I'm sure my answers are going to be interesting when I look back at this. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I'm not complaining, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I can relate for sure. I guess it's how I started. And I, as someone who I guess would I identify as someone who is generally pretty closed off for maybe the first 18-ish years of my life, generally speaking, I, I wasn't, even as a kid, I was, I was quiet. I didn't tend to share much. I, you know, I had friends and we had a decent relationship or whatever, but I didn't tend to share anything particularly intimate or get into things on a super deep level just because I made probably a false assumption that people could not relate to what I was dealing with because I grew up in an environment where I was always kind of an other. And at least that's how I felt at times. And I felt like where other people were in their lives and what they had was was very different from what I had. So 
I just generally assumed like I, I shouldn't share because no one's going to get it. Uh, no one really understands my perspective. And then, yeah, at around 18, when I went off to college, I, I, I guess I decided to try to bring that all into question and immediately realized that I was pretty fucking wrong. Um, and that if most people actually do have something that they're carrying, everyone's fighting a battle that you don't realize. And most people actually can relate to your suffering, even if it's different. Um, we're all humans and we all are motivated and hurt and struggle with similar things. And so when I finally started getting out of my comfort zone in that regard, I realized that regardless of what people seem like on the surface, they generally can relate to you if you're just willing to take that first step and, and be open. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, honestly, it depends, you know? Um, mm. And I think a lot of times I'm sure it's like half life or half you you know, where, mm. you know, different people are placed in different situations. Like I know for me growing up, I was definitely placed in an environment that was definitely not, not welcoming and not opening. And, mm. and I, and I think the biggest thing that I've learned is that a lot of times you have an experience and that basically triggers your brain to basically create a defense mechanism to mm. basically act like that for the rest of your life. And, mm. um, and it's so interesting because I remember I was having this conversation with um, with this author by the name of Robert Greene. This guy's like a legend, and um, okay. he's like written so many books. And uh, he's basically saying on how, like, the first eighteen years of your life is basically like um, I think he called it like the fantasy of your childhood. Mm. And basically, what that means is like your brain is like pumping you with so many different like neurotransmitters and so much stuff needed to create you as a human being mm -hmm. that you're just like, you're just like capable of just like plowing through whatever. Mm -hmm. But then yeah. what happens is like when you're 18, you become an adult, there's like a natural, just like a decrease of, um, mm -hmm. of like all, like what your brain has been doing for your entire life. And like, mm -hmm. I don't know exactly what happens. I'm not an expert in this. But basically, you basically start to like wake up from like the illusion or, or the dream of life and mm -hmm. how you thought that life was. And when that happens, a lot of the times you just start to become aware of so many different mm -hmm. things that have happened to you. And then you start asking yourself like, who do I want to be in the world? Then mm -hmm. you have to create your identity. And so mm -hmm. many times in that scenario, that's where people, they often compare themselves the most people in our age. And mm. part of it is literally just has to do with like how our brains are meant to function like at this age that we're at. Right. Um, and so I think it's just really interesting to keep that in mind because we're all having like our own unique experience of growing up and becoming 18 and, and trying to figure out who we are. Mm. And some people become more aware earlier than other people. And that usually has to do with either like really good parenting or unfortunately, you know, bad events, tra traumatic events yeah, happening to you. For sure. And so, yeah, I mean, it can get messy, you know, this is the mm -hmm. engine of life. And, um, and I don't think any of us are removed from that. You know, even if you're, if you're rich or maybe you've had less struggles on the outside than other people, we've still got different struggles at different levels that mm -hmm. um, isn't even worth comparing. 
you know, with other right. people, right? Um, if that makes sense. And so yeah, it's totally. interesting, man. It's interesting, man. I think some of us relate, but then I think other people can relate. Maybe they can at some level, but, you know, I don't know. Everyone has a different uh, path, journey, what they're interested in, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's <laughs> totally <course>. fair. <laughs> <That's>, Obviously. <laughs> so is life. Um, but yeah, I wanted to jump back to something you you mentioned early on and something that I know that you've, you've spent a decent amount of time talking about, thinking about that being social anxiety and, and how that relates to just the unprecedented context of the past year. And I'm just kind of curious what you feel like maybe the implications are, at least for you personally, or even just for other people who struggle with social anxiety, or I guess I'll use air quotes, introversion, and the social distancing of the past year. Uh, I'm just curious kind of how you think about that. Yeah, so let's take a step back first. So so I wrote this book called Screw Being Shy, Learn How to Manage Social Anxiety and Be Yourself in Front of Anyone. And I wrote this book and it came out the entire day that the world shut down, March of, of last year. Oh, really? Wow. And, um, and so basically like in, in this book, I talk about everything. And um, one of the reasons why I wrote this book is because I grew up and I was just like called that shy, quiet kid. Mm-hmm. And I just sort of like grew up and I was, you know, got in high school and I was trying to survive, trying to become like a person. Mm-hmm. And I just like couldn't, you know, I just couldn't talk to people. And basically what would happen is, you know, if there was some sort of a social scenario and I was there, mm-hmm. I would just feel like all of a sudden my my heartbeat would start to beat fast. My throat would clench. It would tighten up. Mm-hmm. I, all of a sudden, my hot, my forehead would get like very warm. I get it get hot, and then I just start overthinking. And mm-hmm. then I would either like just like say something, just sort of very nervously and not really what I wanted to say, or I just mm-hmm. wouldn't say anything. And like that would basically happen to me basically every single day of my entire life. Mm-hmm. And every time that would happen, I would basically be like, wow, what the hell is wrong with me? Like, like, <laughs> I guess just like God created me as someone who just like, I just, I guess I just can't talk to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that was my life. And I wrote this book because I had experienced all of this. And then by the time I was about like 18 years old and I went off to college, I, I, you know, faced a very, very dark time in my life where I became obese. I became seriously depressed. My lifelong social anxiety that I always had transformed into social isolation. And I just like really just kind of felt like my brain was broken. And eventually I reached this point where I eventually became like suicidal for the first time in my life. And I, it was just like, I don't even know what to do. And and so like, Mm -hmm. I, I fell down. It was a dark period. Eventually I was able to lift myself out of that. And, you know, it's taken a series of, you know, months and years to sort of like re who I am, what kind of happened, and then how do we prevent that from happening again? But sort of like when I was researching sort of what was happening, what, what happened to me, it's interesting because when I started to look at, at the statistics, it turned out that, you know, social anxiety is one of the most, uh, you know, most common, I think it's the third most common mental health issue in America. And yet, 
one of the biggest reasons why I wrote this book is because I was sort of just called like a shy, quiet, introverted kid. Mm-hmm. And what I learned after is that there's nothing wrong with being an introvert. Like there's just people who are introverts. Mm-hmm. And that just means that your brain, uh, psychologically speaking, focuses more on like the internal workings of life and reality. And there's nothing wrong with being shy every once in a while too. Like you go to a new school, you ask someone out on a date or something, like everyone gets shy. Um, But for me, I sort of saw myself and even in the moments where I did try to be social and talk to people, I just felt like my brain would sort of just like not let me. Mm -hmm. And I, when I was doing the research for my book and, and sort of when I was trying to figure out what happened to me, you know, back to what I was saying, I realized that social anxiety is the third most common mental health issue in America. And yet most people don't really know, or they just think that they just sort of like, some of them are shy kids when they're younger and they're just like, oh, I'll just grow out of this. Mm. Or, um, or a lot of times what ends up happening is I remember like Harvard did this meta-analysis study and they found that all out of all the other mental health issues, social mm-hmm. anxiety is the most correlated with social isolation, substance abuse, and suicide. Mm-hmm. And I remember being at 18 and literally experiencing all three of those and being like, huh, maybe this isn't just like, oh, I'm just like a shy, good little introvert. Mm-hmm. And so that like plunged me into this entire world of like really understanding like, you know, how our brain works, or at least just my like 23 year old understanding of it mm-hmm. um, and, and, and what social anxiety really is. And the reality is, is that there are, there are a lot of different, um, you know, proven and, um, you know, proven ways that have been, you know, shown through people doing it or also by science and different scientific studies that show that you, there are ways that you can deal with this, and manage with it and cope with it and, uh, you know, potentially heal from it. But it's uh, it's a very interesting process. And so with all that being said, how does that relate to the pandemic and everything that's happened? Mm. Um, so this is what I would say. There's usually an outward expression of social anxiety, which is, oh, he or she's nervous to talk to people, uh, you know, social isolation, all these things that I mentioned. Right. Then oftentimes there's a there's a internal sort of consequence, and that's mm-hmm. usually that person having uh, you know no self esteem, not really having like any real friends, which also affects like your self esteem and then also how you grow up and how you sort of form your identity in the world. There's you know then you get into substance abuse addiction because you're trying to regulate how you feel, uh, because you ha- sort of like have to feel like you have to do something differently to mm. put yourself on in front of other people. Um, and it's interesting. And I mean, like, I remember, uh, you know, there's, there's a study from Stanford and it showed like a lot of younger people, they grow up, they go to college and they, you know, get a job somewhere and they, they do what they got to do. They're trying to survive. They're making money. They're leveling their way up. And what they realize is that a lot of people, have a lot of issues from substance abuse to not being able to sleep at night, you know, to not, nothing like, you know, crazy, but it's like people that can't stop going to the bar or people who can't mm-hmm. not fall asleep at night or people who have like a specific, maybe like an impulse or, or some, some sort of an addiction. And a lot of the times, you know, generally speaking, 
um, at least in what this study said, is that you can usually trace that back to how a person thinks that they sort of perform in social situations. And, you know, a lot of that has to do with sort of there's a percentage of the population out there who really have suffered from social anxiety. And I don't want to say their brain is broken, but their brain is heavily damaged. And like all these things that they're doing from drugs to socially isolating themselves to not talking to people to, you know, not being able to talk to people without you know, drinking alcohol or something like that. Mm-hmm. A lot of times that that's like a, that's like a crutch that they're trying to like physically force into their brain. And I mean, that only goes for so long until you end up with a situation like me when I was like 18 and suicidal. Um, and so in terms of the pandemic and sort of like what I think, I really think it's terrible. And I, I, I it sucks to say, but it really, it's just sort of like, each person is just sort of isolated in their own house, left to like their own devices. And for mm-hmm. people with social anxiety, it may be easier to actually do quarantine and be socially right. sort of isolated, but it also comes at a higher cost for them, more long term. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know what that's going to look like, but um, I mean, dude, I don't know, man. I mean, I think, I mean, I don't know if I had to set like a prediction or something. I believe that if I had to say, I believe that a percentage of people with social anxiety, I don't know, I'm just going to throw a random number, maybe 20% Mm -hmm. are probably never going to talk to people again. And by never, I mean, that's Mm. a strong word, but I mean, Mm -hmm. like, they're not going to go out again. Like after this, they're never going to go to an event or like a group dinner or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And um, they were already doing that before, but now the world has... It almost in some ways like made it easier, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's become more accepted. Um, and so I don't even know what's going to happen. But um, but then I, on the flip side, I also think that there's going to be a percentage of people who also realize like, oh, crap, if I don't get proactive about this, I'm basically going to, you know, become a statistic. And mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know, see, you know, I'm going to become one of these stories of someone who kills themselves or unfortunately something like that. Mm-hmm. And they're probably going to be proactive and try to work towards a better future. So I don't know. But I assume both positive and negative reactions will happen. But, you know, it just reminds me that my work is more important, you know, now than ever, for sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think you you painted a, a pretty balanced picture there. And something I've been, you know, kind of curious about is I, I wouldn't consider myself someone who experiences a an abnormal degree of, of social anxiety, but so it's, it's something I, I kind of am on the outside looking in despite being what one might consider an introvert. But yeah, like you said, I wasn't sure if it's like people will, when we get back to more of a sense of normalcy, will individuals find it harder to return because they've spent so much time adjusting to this new normal of not being able to see people and it being relatively justified to, to be alone um, or will it be like this, this weird effect where I, I'm not like a huge concert goer. I'm not like someone who goes to the bar a lot or anything, but I find myself really craving those things, even though generally speaking, I didn't so much just from the deprivation of it. So I think there's, there's definitely two sides of it. And, and I think some people will maybe bounce back stronger. Some will be, will find it harder to, to ease themselves more so back into social situations, especially after you've just, you haven't flexed that muscle 
for so long. And I, I even found yeah. it hard when I first started this podcast, obviously it's pretty young and it was, you know, mid, mid pandemic. And the first few conversations I was having, it was, it was a little bit challenging. It was a little weird because I was like, I haven't been having these sorts of really in depth conversations with people I'm not super familiar with. Um, so I had to just kind of like relearn how to, how to have a conversation with someone I didn't know again. Um, so I, I'm, yeah. I'm definitely curious to see, to see how that pans out. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I think what all, what also happened too is I think, I mean, obviously pe- people with social anxiety are obviously human, right? And mm-hmm. so they're going to feel both sides of that, of like, you know, I don't want to go out, but then also like, oh man, you know, even though, you know, I'm socially anxious, I still want to go out. Cause like this year of not seeing people or whatever, it's been crazy. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of times like what'll happen is someone will say that and they'll try to go out. And then all of a sudden, like they'll be hit with uh, like the reality uh, of mm-hmm. their of their nature, and then that'll make them even more depressed, um, right. and be sort of a, a a negative feedback loop for them. Um, because a lot of the times, like people with social anxiety are being fed this message of like to like the normal person, which is like, oh, just like try harder, or just like be more confident, or just like speak up, mm-hmm. and like that's all great. And those, those things I'm sure can be helpful. I mean, in, in like, there's a part of my book where I talk about that, but if you like, if, if that's the first thing you do and you're not addressing like the root, then you're never going to see yourself advance or progress. And that's the reality. And so people with social anxiety, they like try to pick up all these tips and skills and they don't see themselves progressing. And they're just like, oh, I guess it just didn't work. And I'm just a lost cause, mm-hmm. which is exactly what happened to me. And that's right. like one of the reasons why I got like very depressed and suicidal. Um, mm. and, I, and it wasn't until like I actually started to learn about how your brain and your mind actually operate and mm. how to actually tackle this and sort of like reverse engineer it rather than try to attack it head on because that just doesn't work. You just can't beat your brain. Your brain is smarter than you. It, it, it's been, it controls your hardware easily, right. especially in this situation. And so I think that's definitely going to happen for a lot of people too. But I think the the second cause of that will be to people Googling. Hey, right. I'm shy. <laughs> hey, I'm socially. And then all of a sudden me, screw being shy. <laughs> and then hey, there we go. And they read and they're like, huh, I never thought about that. And I, you know, I get emails from it all day and it's my life. But it's, uh, it's, it's really, you know, for me, I just kind of turn my, my prison into my mission. And that's mm-hmm. the way that I think about it, you know. And I literally, you know, face this issue for so long and it's such like an intimate issue that you almost have like just like with yourself and reality and your brain that maybe you know you or someone listening to this maybe has like micro moments of it um Mm. but it's like imagine being so nervous to talk to people and like you're performing trigonometry in your head like 24 7 it never ends Mm. it's very Mm. painful man it's very painful like when i look back i'm like wow how did i even do that like, thank God I I had all those <laughs> neurotransmitters at the beginning of my life for pushing me forward. Right. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, I, I really can't <laughs> imagine, but uh, I, I think it's obviously important that there's, there's more people out there just allowing there to be an ongoing conversation about it and then letting people know that it's, it's not unique and that it's, it's something that, that there are tools, there are resources in regards to, um, 
But I did want to jump back to something you mentioned previously when you were kind of talking about the the depression, the the anxiety, the the suicidal thoughts that that you experienced years ago. And I'm I'm curious if that that sort of rock bottom feels like like a different person, like you were you were fundamentally different then, or if it's something that you know you see kind of more as a shadow that that follows you, and it's it's this ongoing conversation with. Um, and obviously that's a, that's a loaded question. There's, there's no <laughs> I love this. black or white way, but I, I'm just curious how that, that relates to how you think about yourself now. That's a great, great, great question, man. Um, so, I mean, I definitely still get anxious every once in a while and depressed for sure. Um, I've never had a thought ever since then of like being suicidal. Uh, mm-hmm. thank God. And honestly, it definitely does feel like a different person for sure. A hundred percent. Um, and it's, it's kind of weird to think about, honestly, but, um, but I think a lot of times, like what I experienced was, um, you know, a lot of times like you're going through life, right. And mm-hmm. you're, you're only aware of so many different things. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times what will happen to you is like life will push you in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you and yourself, you react to that way. And, and, and I mean, there's only so much that you know yourself, right? Mm. You sort of like when you just open your eyes, um, like, what do you really know about yourself? Like, how do you really think about yourself? And so there's an argument that could be said of like, do you really know yourself? And Mm. I'm sure we all partly know ourselves, but then, you know, we definitely don't know ourselves. (laughs) And so what happens is, right. And so what happens is life pushes you in a certain way that causes your sort of self and identity to have a certain reaction. Mm -hmm. And usually what happens is you see different sides to yourself that you didn't know existed. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a lot of times what happens when, um, you know, people see suicide, like they see different sides themselves. They didn't know exist Mm -hmm. and they don't know how to deal with that. I mean, I think one, um, there's like that level. There's also, there's, there's multiple layers to this problem. Um, but to answer your question, no, I definitely don't feel like that. However, what I will say is that, I mean, definitely since this quarantine social isolation, there's definitely been moments where I don't necessarily think back to my dark time, but I kind of think back to like my younger self. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I just have like these moments where I just like, how would I put it? Just kind of feel like the world just like doesn't exist. And I and it's just like mm. me and my problems. And I'm just like right. in this bubble and like this runaway train that mm. I don't even know that I'm on. And my right. brain is just sort of taking me, taking me, taking me, taking me. Mm-hmm. But then eventually, you know, over the – I mean, of course, it still happens to me. It never ends. But eventually over the years, it's like it's – like, it's, like, it's like the best way I can describe it is like imagine if a virus like takes over your computer. Mm-hmm. Right. And like the virus, it like, you know, it goes on your web browser and it's like trying to open different tabs and windows. Mm-hmm. When you don't have like the right coping skills to deal with that, you just let the virus take over and the virus keeps clicking on the windows. And next mm-hmm. thing you know, you have a thousand windows on your desktop. Your mm-hmm. hard drive is completely full. Your RAM is like freaking out. You can't focus. Your 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 hardware starts to shut down. Your brain starts to malfunction. Mm-hmm. Um, but then eventually, um, you know, you learn different, like, you know, coping skills and tools. And then what happens is the virus opens a window and then you just like, you learn how to close that window. 
and the virus opens a window, you learn how to close that window. And then mm-hmm. there's other things that you can do and like install like a virus defender on your computer that can help you a little bit. And then you can get on this other thing that can help you a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. And so it definitely feels like different. And I feel like a totally different person, but I mean, I definitely still have, um, moments where I can like remember being my younger self, especially in kind of like these social, uh, tricky situations Man. where I'm spending more time by myself, where it just sort of get like throws back my brain to that. Cause I spend so much of my like childhood by myself. So, right. It's yeah, but yeah, no, I've I mean, never had a thought of killing myself. Thank God, honestly. I, th- I honestly mm-hmm. think about that. I think about that. I'm like, man, thank God. Like, I still definitely get anxiety. I'm still afraid of certain things. I still get mm-hmm. nervous. I still get sad. You know, I still get you know down every once in a while for sure. But thank God that doesn't happen to me. Right. I don't. You know, I, and that's because of the work that I've been doing for the last, you know, five six years and everything that I've learned and everything I've learned from all the different like levels of reality from the spiritual lens of reality to the physical, like the biochemical, the neurochemical uh, angle, the physical layer, the mental, emotional. And so mm. I'm not a, I'm not a master in any of these things, but I've just been learning, you know? And so I've been trying to use that against myself or for myself rather. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you illustrated that in a really, a really relatable way when you were talking about what it's like to, uh, and these aren't your words, but essentially kind of over and over again, find yourself almost waking up from a dream. And I guess you did kind of mention that earlier in regards to when you eat the coming of age, but it's something that I can relate to a lot. And, and a lot of my, my meditative practice is, is kind of a reminder of that sort where it's you, you live most of your life in this, this default mode network if you will and everyone has it and every now and then if you're if you're lucky enough or if you've if you've let's just say trained a certain uh muscle or response in regards to your brain it's it's more of a metaphor but you can have these moments where you have the pullback and you're able to see that there's like just a fucking monkey in there who's in control and it's just kind of like how you feel so distanced from that when you have those moments of pullback, but when you're in the moment, you don't see it. You don't realize just like when you're dreaming, there's no awareness, unless I guess it's lucid, that you're dreaming and it feels real. And then you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, geez, wow, glad that's not real. Um, and, you know, sometimes I, I've talked about this before, but I, I maybe only get one of those moments like per day where I actually have that pullback and it in some ways it's hard not to be judgmental of myself because I spend a lot of time working on this front. And sometimes I spend the whole day in this default mode, like where I'm just, it's, it's all my ancestral brain just, just running, you know? And then I'll have just one second before I like get out of the car to, to walk into my house. And I'm like, Oh fuck. Like I have not even just taken a breath. I've not even checked in with myself. I've not even just really acknowledged the present moment all day long but when you do it's it's so valuable and so helpful but it's just so hard to to establish a habit of of pulling yourself out of it regularly dude you almost can't like i i'm a believer of if you don't have some kind of practice like meditation or something that's very very similar which i don't know what that would be 
I think it's almost impossible to do that mm-hmm. to like not like to just naturally be aware. And like, I know for me, like when I first started meditating back in, uh, you know, like, you know, whatever it is, five years ago, it, uh, it was de- It was like the biggest thing that really taught me like life, you know? And, and I think a lot of times what I mean, what I mean by that is like, I think it's one thing to, sort of like know something, but it's mm-hmm. another thing to do it. And I think the merger between those is meditation mm-hmm. from the perspective of like, from the perspective of like, you know, you listen to a podcast mm-hmm. and I mean, I don't know, you're listening to some podcast and the guest is like, all right, do this thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you're like, all right, I'm going to do this after the podcast. And then the podcast episode is done. It's finished. And then you're like walking back to your house for like five minutes or something. And then you like walk inside. Mm-hmm. And then and then you just like never remember to do that mm-hmm. thing. Whereas I feel like meditation, it enables you to sort of not just become more aware of your thoughts, but also be able to like bridge that action. And also like create the reality mm. that you want. Because right. basically I think like part of it is like you see this monkey mind and you see how crazy your brain is. But then you also see like the opposite side of that of like, hey, if my monkey mind is like always like creating things, then why don't I sort of like, you know, let him do whatever he or he's going to do. But then I'm just going to like do my own thing. And so a lot of times it makes you like more productive or like more proactive or more control of your moment to moment life. And mm-hmm. I know for me, like the days where I don't meditate, it literally feels like, um, like exactly what you said. It's like, you know, you just wake up, you do all these different things, then it's back home and you're like, Oh crap. Like what, what <laughs> just happened in my day? Whereas with meditation, I feel like, whereas like, you know, I feel like if you ask me a question, for example, and I've meditated, mm-hmm. I don't know how to describe it, but it almost feels like my brain has more time to respond. Mm-hmm. Even though I just like answer and like a like I open my mouth in like a second or mm-hmm. two seconds, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I get what you mean there. And I think it's what you're speaking to. I, I maybe to some degree have talked about uh, in previous episodes that there's this uh, there's an overlap, but there's also this unnecessary dichotomy sometimes with knowledge and wisdom. Wisdom kind of being the application of knowledge or lived knowledge and how this often relates to the you know, different schools of thought, Eastern and Western, and that Eastern is very wisdom-based and that's where you get kind of Buddhism and a lot of the the roots of, of meditation because it is all about like it. It, it means nothing to just know things. It means nothing to just know them without the the ability to put them into practice, without the ability to actually just lead by example, as opposed to, you know, sit up on a podium and, and tell people how you, you ought to be living a, an ethical life. Um, and I guess I say all of that to say that it's in the moment, it's, it's very difficult because I, I sometimes struggle to bridge that gap because I sure I spend time every single day trying to become more aware, become more mindful. 
uh, to flex that muscle more and more, but it is only valuable if I can do that in my regular waking life, where if I just sit down for 10 minutes a day and I go to this other place that I never approach in my real life when I'm just sitting in this kind of echo chamber by myself, it's kind of useless. And sure, it could be relaxing. It could have benefits. I think stillness and quiet and time, just space is is valuable in and of itself. But if you can't apply that in your everyday life, if you can't have those similar moments when you're actually doing things, when you're in conversation with others, when you're trying to complete a task, when you're trying to help someone uh, who's in need, it's it's kind of lost. It's not that it's a waste of time, but it's it's hard to bridge that gap sometimes. And as I spoke to before, those days where I feel like I don't apply it at all, that can be frustrating. But even just having that one moment, like a single moment in a day feels like a victory compared to a day where there's none. Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting. But I think the problem with that is like you start to you start to look at it as like a tool and obviously it is a tool. It's like a habit, right? Meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it becomes sort of like, are you doing it? Are you doing it to truly like be present and do it? Or are mm-hmm. you doing it for your ego to like obsess over like some like calculated, uh, you know, sort of like benefit that's guaranteed Right. To like for you to achieve one, that's not possible because you can't guarantee like any kind of, you know, sort of like benefit unless you're talking about drugs. You know what I mean? Um, And so I think the biggest thing is like, you know, obviously you have to look at, you know, pros and cons. Does this fit into my life? But, you know, I think meditation is one of those things where whether you feel it or you don't, it's it's just probably a good idea to do it. Um, and, um, and I I think you can take a break, you know, obviously like I took a break from, from meditating after basically like every day for five years, like Mm -hmm. recently. Um, let's just say I was quickly reminded (laughs) why I meditate every day. Um, but that, but I honestly kind of needed that reminder because I think at a certain level too, like sort of knowledge and wisdom, I think a lot of people can like sort of be addicted to like over intellectualizing themselves. And like, for example, like I know a lot of people who read books all day. um, But, you know, are they doing like, is there, is there a benefit to that in their own lives? Maybe, maybe not. Um, And so I think it really just becomes like, are you doing things in life to do them, to be in the present moment? Or are you just doing them to sort of get something out of them? And I think there's a balance between them. And and the only reason why I'm saying that is because, like, I think there's a lot of people who have very, very strong egos, just kind of like naturally speaking or based on their past experience or whatever, who no matter what they try to do, they're going to use that as a reason as to, like, why they can't do it. Mm -hmm. People will try to meditate and they'll say, oh – meditation is not for me you know i just can't sit down and then the issue is like okay yeah you're right you can't sit down and that's like literally the problem (laughs) right there and like that's why people meditate and then it's like wait why do i want to learn how to sit down well people a lot of people like i know i have a friend of mine who very high achiever he's like yo i can't sit down for for like five ten minutes 
uh, but he works very hard, mm-hmm. right? And then it, and then it almost kind of makes you like, hey, are you just like working hard just to like work hard, just so you can sort of like distract yourself in life and not actually be present into like what is your existence and your reality, and you're right. just like sort of using that under the disguise of like being a good person who like provides for their family. Like only mm. you're going to know the answer to that. Um, right. But I know for me, like it's become a little challenging because sometimes, um, sometimes like you, we do these things, whether it's meditation or going to the gym or doing whatever, doing whatever. And we, we lose touch of like with them. We lose mm. the meaning because we're doing it so often and we burn out or something like that. Right. Um, and so I think for me, the biggest thing that I've learned is, even if you don't feel the meditation, I just think it's a good idea to do it because like you're just installing, like you're rewiring your brain, even if you can't see it. And the way that I think about it is like, if I spent, you know, I don't know, 355 days mm-hmm. um, from like a pat from like a, like average past year that I had when I was younger spending 355 days out of the year anxious Mm -hmm. you know and i meditate once like every day that's one out of 365 that's two out of 365 and then all of a sudden you step back and you look at years later and you've made thousands and thousands and thousands of decisions how Mm -hmm. do you you know if you've made the decision to um be not conscious and be mindless Mm -hmm. twenty-five thousand times in your head all of a sudden, when you go to meditate for the first time and you choose to be mindful, it's going to be very hard. Like it should right. not come easy. Like if it comes easy, you're probably doing it wrong. Mm. Um, and so it's interesting. And so it, I, know, I know I said a lot of things there, but I mean, what I'm a big fan of too is just like being skeptical about my own thoughts and being skeptical about my own emotions because mm. I know a lot of the times, um, unless I have experience or I've read about something, my brain just wants me to sort of avoid sort of what I haven't seen before. And mm. and I think that is potentially like the biggest danger that people have. Whereas like, Hey, if you wake up every day and you just try to meditate and you just try your best and you don't do it perfectly, you're probably not going to like it. I'm sure there's going to be times where like you fall asleep or whatever. You're still taking shots. Like you're still aiming. And, and for me, it's like, you shouldn't judge yourself in the lens of a single moment, you should judge yourself based on like decade intervals, 10 year intervals. So it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, if I personally, for me, I started my journey when I was like 18, 19, I'm not going to, right now I'm 23, about to be 24. I'm not going to judge myself right now. I want to judge myself when I'm 28, 29 and being like, man, were these things that I was doing, were they actually good for my mental health? Because it takes a lot of time especially mm-hmm. in the long term for us to actually see what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. And so thank you for listening to my gibberish there for the last <laughs> 20 minutes. But. No, no, it's, it's by no means gibberish. And I, uh, there's definitely a lot to unpack there, but, but um, you know, that's just the cost of doing business. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I definitely, I definitely can relate to your, your final point there. And it's, I think it's particularly interesting when you, anytime you try to do something new, anytime you try to to take on, uh, let's just say a new habit that you feel like will 
benefit you in, in some tangible way. And it's, as you spoke to it, it can take so long. It can, it can be so frustrating when you expect any sort of short-term results. And it, it's hard to have that, that pullback, that bird's eye view of when you look back in retrospect, of course, things always take time and it's, it's much easier to, to break things and to fix them. And so sometimes when things go wrong, it's, it's very easy to, to see how quickly things can decline and expect the, the bounce back to be relative to that. But unfortunately, that's not how things tend to pan out. So I, I definitely find your point interesting in regards to, to looking at yourself just in, in different time spans uh, and, and, and being able to give yourself a little bit of grace and just the opportunity to, to let things play out and see that, that whatever decisions or choices that you're making um, giving them a little bit of a larger time horizon to, to have an impact and, and just having a little bit of a broader perspective ultimately before you jump to conclusions about what is good for you and might not be. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I definitely, obviously I believe in like intuition, but I also like have lived like 18 years of my life where my brain would like literally tell me, everybody hates you don't talk to people mm-hmm. anytime i would open my eyes like the world would literally like visually look like a darker place would look gray like it was always raining all the time and then i like basically changed my life and i opened my eyes and i was like holy shit everything my brain has been feeding me mm-hmm. for the last 10 years has been wrong and obviously not everybody gets to have that experience but for me, when I had that experience, that really just hammered into my head of like, your game is like, I mean, your brain is the master like game runner. Your, right. your brain can put you in any kind of game that you don't even know you're in mm-hmm. a game. Um, and so for me, I'm always like skeptical of, of that. And I'm like, huh, like, is there anything that I can sort of become conscious of? that I need to become conscious of so that I can change for the betterment of, you know, success, which is, you know, for me all about two things, self-growth when it comes to my spiritual, my mental, emotional, physical, my relationships, business. And then number two is like, how am I then taking that energy and then using it for other people, mm-hmm. for the world to give back. Um, and so, yeah, it's interesting. But um, <laughs> but I think like, you know, a lot of times, like if you have an experience like that, it just wakes you up. And, uh, you know, hopefully I don't forget it. But, um, you know, I think obviously like if you can put yourself in some kind of experience, obviously that's not like dangerous where you can uh, like truly experience something you've never experienced before that you didn't think was possible, I think that'll also like help you stretch your brain to what's mm. possible. Because I think a lot of us, we wake up every day, we see the same people, we do the same things. You be, like Your brain creates like this reality tunnel. And even mm. if what you're doing is terrible, it normalizes that in your head. Right. And so I think a lot of times it takes like some, you know, some, some big experience, mm. um, positive or negative, um, to really get you to kind of like wake up. And then once you wake up and you realize that it's sort of an illusion, a dream, then you're like, wow, okay, let me try to create my own dream. 
let me try to create my own illusion that I, that serves me, but that is not, you know, sort of like a manifestation of my fears. And I heard this quote and it was, uh, kids have imaginary friends, adults have imaginary enemies. Mm. And like, when you put it that way, it really makes the sense of like, our brains like are really these really brilliant machines that are basically creating your reality in every single moment of every single day. And some of it is very deep has to do with your, your genetics, your ancestors, you know, all kinds of things. But then part of it, you can control and part of it, I would say a lot of it or more than people would think you do have control when it comes to like how you view your identity, how you view your values, what you're willing to like, what you think the truth is, in life, mm-hmm. what's the most meaningful thing for you to do? Um, how do you deal with your pain, uh, good or bad, and being honest about that? And I think like once you start to ask yourself these questions, then life gets just more meaningful, you know. Mm-hmm. And 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 then it's not like you don't have problems; the problems never end, you know. Um, but you just become more. I don't want to say more confident in yourself, but mm-hmm. you continuously grow the belief in yourself and not in yourself as in like your opinion right now, but like truly in like your true self of like how you view your identity um, in the future. Um, And so that's, that's what I would say is the biggest thing that I've sort of learned as like a conclusion from like all the stuff that I've, you know, been spewing at you. I, I definitely, I don't know. I feel like this, I feel like usually I'm on game on podcasts. I kind of feel like I'm like firing in random spots. <laughs> I don't know if I'm hitting. Yeah. No, no, no worries, man. I, I know it's <laughs> it's different to be on the other side of things, but um, yeah. I mean, I think you you offered up something that that is pretty critical to the whole concept of the show here, which is which is identity and, and self concept and how how fluid and, and complicated that can be for individuals and how that relates to how they experience the world and how the world for whatever that means experiences them. Um, and <laughs> so yeah, I, to some degree it's, it, it's can be quite different, right? What we, how we think of ourselves, the identity we've co- constructed internally and then the, the perceived self, which we never quite fully understand. We, we think we have an idea of, of how the world perceives us, but we'll, ju- we'll simply never know that. Uh, we can be told by others who we believe to be trustworthy, but to some degree, there's, it, it's always going through this, these layers of filters that uh, we can get closer and closer to the truth, but uh, maybe we'll never reach. But on that... Have you ever heard of... Um... You ever heard of uh, – uh, there's like this psychologist. His name is Cooley. He has this thing called a looking glass self-theory. You ever heard of it? Oh, okay. Uh, I, I'm familiar with it by name, but I honestly don't know it in any depth. Yeah. Um, I mean I don't know 100% in depth, but basically what he says is like you're not who you think you are. Mm-hmm. You're also not who I think that you are. Right. But you are – who you think that I think you are. Hmm. Interesting. And so it's like you stop and it's like, okay, so I'm not who I think I am. Mm-hmm. But I'm also not who Brandon thinks I am. Mm-hmm. But I am who Brandon thinks that I think I am. Right. And so like that's an interesting thing because it's almost like your identity. I think I, I believe very strongly in identity. 
but I also don't think that identity is anything. Right. And like in that looking glass self theory, it's like literally a mirror on mirrors. It's like when you see yourself through the like, in, if you're like in, like a, in a fitness room or in a fitting room, like you see the mirror through the mirror through yourself, mm-hmm. and you see like like that double reflection. You're like, oh wow, that's like, I guess what an identity is. And I'm sure you maybe talked about this like with your guests or whatever, but it's like you look into like how human beings are created. You you start looking into all the, like the, the language that we've invented mm-hmm. and like all these words that basically like we have been using our words or like we invented language to create words as vehicles for our thoughts and ways mm-hmm. to describe our emotions. And then you're like, okay, if you have thoughts, then you can actually describe your own consciousness and create things in the world because then mm-hmm. you have an imagination and I, I could keep talking for hours, but but it's like there's like this, you know, super deep theory that I mean I got into my friends with last week on like a rooftop at like midnight that I could talk we could talk all about, I'm sure, but um it's interesting for sure. Yeah. No, I mean it's a it's an incredibly broad topic that I think once you you open Pandora's box, it's it's hard to close it because it's so it's so intimate and integrated into everything that we experience and do in in this life. And even to your point about words and and language and how we've created that to, to try to give life to our thoughts. It's even, there's always a degree of detachment there where every, even language, all language is technically metaphor, right? Like uh, uh, a leaf is not truly a leaf is what we refer to it as, but we're still missing it, its essence to some degree. We're trying to describe it, but uh, everything is still, it's being put through a certain filter, a certain lens always. And we can, of course, come to a common ground. We can use language and mathematics to to have uh, common symbols and and explanations for things so that we can communicate. And I think that's what makes us so unique as, as humans, but it, it also is, we always feel a little bit detached from what we're aiming for. Um, but I did want to ask just in general, because it's a question I often think about as it relates to personal identity is just in what way do you think people misjudge you the most? Like if it, as far as uh, on the other side, if you could imagine what it's like to, to be someone who perceives you and well, this could be positive or negative, but just something that you feel like people miss about you or get wrong. But it's something that generally if they they met you, they saw you on social media, or they had a conversation with you and they'd be like, OK, I know this about this guy. Um, is there anything that comes to mind? Yeah, that's a good question, man. So, you know, for me, like ever since my journey, like five, six years ago, I mean, really everybody in my life, like knows who I am. And, Mm. um, and like for me though, but it wasn't always like that. And, and for me though, um, you know, people with social anxiety, something that they're really good at is like hiding everything about them from Mm. even the people that are closest around them and the people they love. And so dude, I've been doing this literally my, my (laughs) whole life with like my closest best friends in my family Mm. But there, you know, was a time like four or five years ago, and it always happens now, where I like just like basically just like spilt my entire guts about how everything, my entire life, the deepest, darkest things, just like everywhere on the mm-hmm. internet, my book, to my family, everybody. And so now, 
now I don't really have that problem. But if anything, it's like the reverse problem, mm. which is a lot of people think that I'm like invincible because I, you know, talk about like mental health and all these things. And, um, and I, you know, I, you know, people view me as like, uh, like there's always like the before and after people mm. don't really know that the after is, is always still going. <laughs> like right. It's always so in the <laughs> present moment, like it never ends. It's not a, it's not a movie. It doesn't end. Mm. Um, and so I think a lot of people generally speaking will, will think that I'm invincible mm-hmm. and that I can just like do anything without sort of like you know, like without like a potential negative effect, which is not true because I'm human and I, I still get nervous and I, you know, get sad and sometimes I burn out and all these different things and right. feel misunderstood. And so that's honestly probably the biggest thing. Um, if that made sense, if I answered your question properly. Yeah. No, no. I mean, I think that that makes total sense. And that's, it's kind of guess... sad, honestly, now that I say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> I guess it's subjective, but yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's definitely two sides to that. And I think it's, we tend to do that with anyone who has an, an interesting story, which I would argue is everyone, but whenever anyone maybe reaches a rock bottom, um, of some sort, or they, they go through something very traumatic or they, whatever it is, and they come out on the other side, we, because I don't know if it's our, our propensity for narrative or just all the media and film that we consume now that we, we want to put a bow on it and say that story's over. Like that, there was the ending. They made it through. Well, you know what I think it is? I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. No, 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 go, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Um, what I was going to say it is, is I think it's uh, escapism from the self. Mm. And the more and more I think about this, the more I think about like – and this is good to a degree – but it's like when somebody thinks, um, for example, I don't know, this is a weird example, but for example, like when some, when some, like, I don't know, like when some, um, when some kid like grows up in the hood their whole life and mm-hmm. they don't have, like nobody teaches them what to do and all they do is just like play basketball, for example, and they see Michael Jordan on TV and he's like smiling, then they're like, Oh, Michael Jordan doesn't have any problems. Mm-hmm. Maybe if I work hard enough to get there one day, I will have no problems. Right. And so I think in a lot of ways, it's almost like a coping mechanism that we have with people who have, you know, like me, who have like faced some, um, some, you know, which is everyone. Everyone has a story, but right. for someone who's actually shared it, um, mm. and they know how to tell their story, and then they also have success, like you know, they've been featured in Forbes or whatever, whatever accolade, whatever title you mm. want to put on them. Um, and so I think it's like an escape, not for that person like me, but for someone who's thinking about it, and as a mm. way to almost, um, like detach themselves, um. But I think we also do that so that we can actually put in the work because I think if we actually realized that we would still have to put in the work and then when you get there, when you're at Michael Jordan's level or whoever, you're a better person for sure. Like it's not like anybody can do that, but Mm -hmm. you're still a a person and if anything, you probably have more problems. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like you probably have more problems. Like you probably have more money. Right, mm. you probably have maybe like more friends, maybe more experiences, more skills, but mm. you probably have more problems because you're doing more things in life, and that's just part of the 
the sort of circle. And so I think we do that as a way to like escape from ourselves and escape from the hardship that is reality. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I think to, <laughs> to some extent that's, uh, that's kind of where I was going with it is that we, I think that's part of the reason that we do create narrative. We do create some of our, our art or we, we write, we, we make films because there, there is some sort of solace in, in a, in a tight narrative that has an ending. And, and I think I would probably argue that there's some of the best work on that front is, is the work that, that doesn't give you that satisfying ending and uh, that ends somewhat abruptly and without mm. resolution because that's generally how life actually is. And it's, there's always, you know, it's <laughs> to stick with your basketball metaphor, like, you know, you hit the game winning shot and that's, you know, roll credits is, is maybe a, a more, a more right. traditional movie, but obviously like what, what about practice the next day? What about, uh, <laughs> what, what about, you know, the fact that this was everyone's last game in, in high school and they're never going to play organized basketball again. Like what about, how we move on from here. And so of course the highs are, are, are valuable and something to strive for, but at the same time, people continue on after that people have to live their lives. And there's always a, there's a new undertaking. There's a, there's a new fight to, to fight and life kind of exists in these ebbs and flows where there's, there's always going to be another Valley and there will always be another peak of, of some sort. So of course, trying to condense that down into some sort of bite-sized content for people to consume is never going to to be totally satisfying but at the same time I think we we do try to do that with others and so when we 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 take someone's you know 15 minute story and we say wow okay now I've decided that if I could just do what they did I'd be happy and that's hopefully not the point right the point is that Sure, it got them out of a valley, but that's not to say that they're at some sort of permanent peak by any means. Um, but I, I guess that's uh, that's just kind of the nature of the beast, dude. And I think as you're saying that, I was just thinking about like, I, man, that's so interesting. I feel like I've never thought about it that way, and it makes me think like, it makes me think like, our brains, whether whether it's like we read books or we watch films, um, or we see shows, all these things that have like conclusions, right? Mm -hmm. Like happy endings. I feel like that, I mean, obviously it makes realistic sense, mm -hmm. but I feel like that doesn't really make sense because like we're training our brains to like look for like these static, you know, situations that like don't move, but that's not life. Life is always moving, mm -hmm. always flowing. And that's so interesting because then I feel like, oh, shit. And then I feel like when then you reflect that inward, you view yourself as a static person. Right. And then you're like, wow, I'm this person who is always going to have, you know, I don't know, X amount of dollars in the bank account or this, you know, weight or this, mm -hmm. you know, person. I don't know. That's so interesting. I actually never thought about that. that, and that that's so – I don't know. Does that make sense? So it's like we're – Ever since like we're kids, like our brains are just like sort of naturally due to like media and usually what we consume, we're training life to be static when life is never static. Life is right. always moving and then we reflect that static like dynamic 
in our own selves, but the self is never static. It's always fluid. And right. thinking that is static literally causes so many problems right. <laughs> and, and judgments. Yeah, Man, that's so interesting. I've never connected <laughs> that before. Yeah, like no, I mean, you're, 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 uh, <laughs> you're preaching to the choir for sure. I mean, I think it's it's one of our biggest problems. And I think it it has been worsened to a large extent, right? By <laughs> by uh, just like the, the fact of television and, and how ubiquitous it's become, because there's certainly a lot of value there. But it's especially when you have children who are basically being like raised by by media and, and television shows where that's especially let's we'll, we'll bring it back to socialize social isolation kids who are even particularly growing up not only just in a time where it's more and more normal to you know sit alone in front of a screen but particularly in a time where literally kids are more isolated from one another that this is how you're learning to be a person this is how you're learning to develop expectations in life and, and what you ought to strive for and want um and so everyone does grow up with these ideas that that they it's different for everyone maybe but i feel like everyone still hangs on to this idea of like arriving somewhere that would be a, a state of satisfaction where it's like for some it might be like oh i just want like my my house on the prairie and you know i just want to read books in a cabin by myself or it might be you know i want to make a million dollars or i want to start my own business or I want to become a professional athlete or whatever it is. Like if I could just get there, if I could just get published, if I could just get to a million views, whatever it is that you would be like, okay, I'm set. You know, I could just coast into, you know, I I could go buy a house on you know, Bora Bora and everything would be good. But that's, that's not how our brains work. Right. It's, it's simply not in, I guess I've said it before, but you know, paradise is only paradise for uh, because it is finite. Where if you, when you go on vacation, it's incredible. You know, it's so enjoyable to be there. But like people live there, and to them, it's not truly paradise. They you can normalize, as you said earlier, you can anything can be normalized, and so in time, like you. We, even when we look at the the research around people who win the lottery like they're they don't really deviate <laughs> from from their base state of of happiness or like whether you look at people who win the lottery or people who have traumatic injuries people who get paralyzed things that you'd say that would affect your well-being your mindset more than anything but it really doesn't deviate much after a matter of months people stabilize they go back to their default and even if something terrible happens to you, if you're in the right place psychologically, you'll be okay. But if even if you have this windfall of, of good fortune, it doesn't really matter because life doesn't life doesn't stay that life isn't static. And uh, the, the quality of your mind is the quality of your life at the end of the day. So it's. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I say that all to say um so we we get a little bit we we get sold this this false narrative growing up that that there's a lot of it that there will be this sense of of uh stasis at a certain point of, of homeostasis uh when we just we just find balance or peace or whatever we're looking for and it's yeah it's just always just a moment and you're you're always kind of going up or down you know you're never really level and that's okay like it's okay to be in a in a valley and that's hard to cope with sometimes to say i'm so 
I'm not in, I'm not on the climb right now. Like I'm just not. Um, and that doesn't mean that you won't be, uh, and that will be the momentum that will carry you up, right? You have to go down to, to gain, gain steam. But it, when you're in those valleys, it's, it's very hard to, to keep that, that bird's eye view and, and say, I, I know that this will be met with a proportionate, uh, peak at some point. And it's so interesting because now that I think about it, like for me, every, like before when I would go on vacation, uh, when I was like 18, 17, 16, mm-hmm. I feel like I would always be the most depressed on vacation. Mm. And I feel like maybe that's because a part of me like knew that this whole vision uh, that's like sort of invisibly like built into our society. Mm-hmm. And our society's narratives was BS. And I would think like, man, I, we got three days left. We got four days left of paradise. Mm-hmm. And then we, we're out of here. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of times like that's like coming to terms with the fact that life will change mm-hmm. is, you know, something that's a skill. But I also think that um, like if you're experiencing good things, that can also be very hard to like let go of. And I feel like I really struggle with that when mm-hmm. I'm like in these peak moments. Right. And there's just there's the back part of my brain that's like, dude, when you go home today <laughs> and you're on your flight and it's just you by yourself looking at your phone, like you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so that's so interesting. I need to I need to write some things down from this podcast. How do you get better at being okay with stasis? How do you yeah, focus I mean, on those tools? Which then the which then the question becomes like, which then the question becomes like, I think what, which is what you're trying to say of like it's not really necessarily about the experience. I mean, it is about the holistic experience, but it's about the experience on the inside mm-hmm. of like if you know that life is going to constantly change for the better or for the worse, then what can you do to basically make sure that you're okay? with the fact that life is going to change for the better or worse. I mean, I don't know what the right question is, but because yeah, if you do I mean, that, that's... then whatever you experience and you've got the same mind, you've got the same brain, mm. then, I mean, theoretically you should be able to deal with that. But I think that's just like the perfectionist in me. That's like trying to get <laughs> everything right, which yeah. never, it never ends up perfectly right. <laughs> in my head. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's a huge question. If I had a, a perfect <laughs> answer, I, I probably wouldn't be, on this podcast with you right now um but i think <laughs> Might be dead, man. Might be <laughs> uh but yeah i mean i think not to make it seem like it's the answer to everything and i know it can be frustrating for those who don't but to bring it back to meditation like i feel like that is at base <laughs> the the true purpose of it is to just get in the practice of being okay with things as they are and in just moment to moment for whatever it is is just having that sense of acceptance and bringing into question like is what if everything is just okay right now regardless that you can at least for me personally it's been the most powerful tool and without getting into it in in detail into detail the past year or two for me has been certainly the most difficult of my life for a lot of reasons. And one of the only things that has helped me get through it and and remain what I think outwardly people would consider me to be pretty stable um, and pretty well composed and, and generally not deeply affected by a lot of the things that I've experienced is just 
that I always can find solace in that when I'm in, in a, in a dark place or when I'm experiencing a lot of pain is just really trying to find acceptance in those moments and understanding that this is just a part of being a person, you know, that, that the pain is just as much a part of being human and the value and the experience, uh, as, as the happiness and the joy are. And, to, to realize that at base, nothing really has to have a framing to it, that that pain is not suffering, right? That pain is is physiological and undeniable, but suffering, which is what we truly experience in a negative way in life, uh, that is something quite different. And that is the, the machinations of pain and whether or not it will ever subside. So pain in any given moment is just pain and it's always endurable. Any any single moment is endurable in any context. It's the idea that this will quote. never end, right? It's it's this idea that, you know, let's just say it in very simplistic terms, uh you I don't know, you, you tear your ACL or something and it's it's super painful. You get an ankle sprain. Um, and in that moment, sure, it hurts, but it's not the pain that that even necessarily keeps you up at night or really impacts your psychological well-being. It's it's the wow, in three weeks I was gonna run this race and now I can't. Or what if this pain never goes away? What if I never solve my problems? What if I'm always anxious? What if I'm always sad? What if I'm you know, what if this never improves? It's looking into the future instead of just sitting with what is at present. Um, so yeah, I know that's long winded, but for me, it's, what did you say? You said, you said any moment is bearable. Yeah. Any single moment is endurable. Um, it's actually kind of a, a, a key principle of, of, uh, AA Alcoholics Anonymous, not that I've ever experienced Mm. it, but, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with, with David Foster Wallace or, or his book, Infinite Jest, but, um, I just recently finally finished it um, after years of attempting to, and there's actually a very powerful uh, sequence in, in the final chapters of the book where this one of the characters essentially was, you know, probably fatally injured. He was shot multiple times and is having this incredible experience in and out of consciousness as he's trying to survive, but not. Uh, consume any uh, narcotics because he is an addict and he knows if he does, that's it for him. And so he's enduring this like just incredible, horrific pain. He also has a, um, a a bad record. If they find out what really happened, even though he was just trying to save someone's life, he'll go to jail, which is not a feasible option for him either considering his condition uh, so he's just dealing with this intense psychological pain. He's hallucinating and he everything like they keep trying to give him medicine and being like, no, it'll be OK. But he knows himself. He knows it won't be. And that is ultimately where he finds solace is is that principle that he learned through AA of just focusing on each individual moment and not thinking about the future or what might happen or how long it might last or the future implications and just saying for right now, any given moment is just a moment. It's endurable for what it is. And um, yeah, I mean, I I guess that I have 
I'll, I'll stop at that. So people are still interested in reading the book, uh, because it's incredible. And I would, I would advise it to anyone, but yeah, that's, that's honestly kind of where, um, a place in which it was particularly well illustrated for me and something that, that I find to be so useful because even in those moments, I do find if you can really come into the present and come into your body, as opposed to just your, um, your default mode network that it's you can always find that state of of some sense of i don't know if i want to say peace because that makes it sound a little bit more woo woo or whatever but it just any given moment uh it's always a place that i feel like i can go even when it gets heavy and even when things seem insurmountable if you can just hang on moment to moment the next one will come and and you will deal with that as it will or as you need to but it's it's really the it's the focusing on the past and, and the implications of that or the the future and, and which is where we suffer but pain pain is not that bad in and of itself it's not even necessarily bad because you go to the gym you feel pain and you feel good about it right um because the framing is there right the framing is i'm helping myself this is beneficial this is not suffering uh but physiologically it's it's pain <laughs> and what makes it suffering what makes it seem unendurable is is the framing that we give it and the the either past or future uh, referential thoughts that we have. Boom. There's your answer. Go meditate. <laughs> you don't even need to listen to this podcast. Just go meditate. That's it. Yeah. I, I guess I should just, just shut <laughs> this whole thing down and, and uh, maybe just tell people to meditate. But I mean, and to be fair, it's no. not that simple because it's, yeah. I, I, as you spoke to earlier, it's, there's different forms and I feel like it's not necessarily there's obviously a difference for how difficult it is individual to individual and I can come from a place that I try to acknowledge it always came actually relatively easy to me because of what my default network is default mode network is as opposed to the average person's and so I found that even before I feel like I I reached a depth that was truly meaningful in my practice I I just enjoyed the the practice of sitting in silence of just being with my with my sensations with my thoughts with my senses I that was just something that I found interesting and enjoyable before I ever got to a place where it was really meaningful in my life but I feel like some form of it can be found for anyone and the the barrier to entry is different person to person and so I feel like it's it's just such a it's such a hot term and activity right now where it's it's on the fucking cover of Time magazine and it's it's everywhere. Everyone's saying it will solve all your problems. And like a lot of that is also bullshit. And so it's it's I, I, I try not to I feel like every a lot of people's exposure to meditation is is more the surface level that actually isn't as meaningful. And uh I feel like that's often what turned people off of it because it gets framed as something that it's not. Uh, but you know, I could, I could talk for another 15 hours on, <laughs> on this topic. Uh, but I, um, anything that marketers get a hands of, they screw up, man. So 
you know, it's um, it's just like all part of the process. And I think the biggest thing is just like anything that like what I said before, like anything that you expect to like 100% guarantee give you like that feeling of peace, mm-hmm. that arrival, that pill, it just doesn't exist. You know, right. at least not right now. I don't think it can exist just based on reality. And so, you know, that being said, like, you know, just keep that filter in mind. Right. Um, you know, but there are a lot of things that can help people, you know, like meditation, you know, for sure, dude, it completely changed my life. Mm. Um, I'm actually going to meditate after this. I, this, this inspired me. So, <laughs> thank you. yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad. And I think it's something that once again, obviously, I'm I'm a proponent of uh, and it, a lot of it just came from enough people that I respected and uh, looked up to in a lot of ways, saying that this was the most significant tool in their lives that that allowed them to to write said book or overcome certain challenges and i just heard it enough times where i was like okay let me let me see what this is about so if if this is your a hundredth time (laughs) hearing about it uh maybe it's the time to to give it a shot but to make a little bit of a hard pivot here so that we can get to some other things (laughs) uh because i've got to just pull myself out of it um, and in the name of something that I tend to try to do on the show, which is put people off balance a little bit and, and get people out Please. of their comfort zones. Um, Please. I'm curious if you have any, if you have a particular opinion that you feel strongly about that you're also confident is unpopular. Uh, oh, damn. Um, confident, but not popular. Mm-hmm. confident but not popular um i think one opinion that i have like that i'm probably the most confident about is the fact that um like i think most people grow up and they just never question themselves the experience of themselves and what is producing themselves um and for me like an opinion that i have is that like when you when people say life and and like how you experience it that is basically like a a combination of you know like your senses from your eyes your ears interfacing with like your neurons brains cognitive biases distortions that basically create what you think and feel about when you like open your eyes and you're a human being mm-hmm and that that's probably that's probably the biggest one that I have. And and I and you know I, you know if you said I feel like if you said that's like the average person on the street, they'd be like, dude, what kind of drugs are you on? <laughs> <laughs> um, but for me, like that, I think that's such a powerful thing to keep in mind because I feel like at some cognitive or logical level, it helps me realize that like right now in this moment is not like forever and it's not like what my brain wants me to believe and i'm i'm actually just like this like organism that's like moving along here and i got this brain this brain that's like created this internal model of the world and then based on all these kinds of things from my genetics to whatnot then creates this reality um but i also like do believe in god and sort of spirituality and and like the spiritual level i would say of life or the spiritual realm and so mm-hmm. I don't think life is that like black and white cells, science and stuff. Um, but that's an opinion that I definitely feel very strongly about. 
Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And I guess just to clarify that a little, by that do you mean that like uh, what what individuals experience or, or who they are is is essentially a a uh, a combination of of factors and uh, physiological phenomena that they they don't fully understand. Is that is that what you're part getting? Phys- or did I miss part, that? Part, part, yeah, part. I mean, part physiological, part. Um, you know, I'm, I don't know, maybe part spiritual. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, because I think a lot of us like we just like go through and we don't really like we don't really question who we are. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know. Like I remember for me when I was sort of like kind of going through and kind of trying to create my identity. I remember I had like this morning where I woke up and I was like, yo, what am I? Like Mm -hmm. when I say my, my name Mark and like my consciousness, like where is this voice? Like, who am I? Like, what is this experience? Mm -hmm. Um, And then obviously when I was suicidal, kind of saw the dark extremes of that. And you kind of see what can happen if you have like a flawed, um, model you know of reality flawed i don't want to say the word flawed but um you know uh, hurting brain um and then how that can sort of control your experience and the reason why i say that is is because i feel like most people they think that they can only change life on the outside Mm -hmm. right so it's like hey i'm gonna go walk to the store i'm gonna um I'm going to write this thing down. I'm going to tell someone this. I'm going to build a building here. Mm -hmm. But you sort of like take a step back and then you're like, wait, but what am I? And what are the factors that make me up? Mm -hmm. And questioning like your identity. I think that's like a a great first step for anyone who especially has had like mental health problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think a lot of the times like you believe yourself, not yourself, you believe your brain so much mm-hmm. you don't question your brain. But when you question your brain, it helps you shift that perspective and realize who you truly are versus mm-hmm. these, you know, thousands of different like algorithmic reactions that are happening as a part of trillions of cells happening in your body, maybe interfacing with some like deeper spiritual realm of reality. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think I see where you're going, and I think it, it, uh, it reminds me of the, I guess, the common analogy of, I guess, essentially comparing humans to to computers, and and in some ways it's it's flawed, but in some ways it's, yeah, it's, computers are too simple, right? In some but I think ways, we're like a quantum computer. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it definitely doesn't work perfectly, but and right. in, in, in some ways, I think I it's, wish. It's, it's elegant, uh, at least in regards to the brain, right? That I think even just thinking about how we ought to uh, respond or diagnose or just problem solve when something does go wrong with someone in their brain and being able to say like, okay, if if a computer malfunctioned, I guess kind of similar to what we were talking to earlier, you get a virus or something that we respond in a certain way. And that if uh, a computer has a bug or it has a problem that we, we would think about that very differently than we would a human for, for good reason on some level, but on another level, I think it's, it often is helpful for people to have some degree of detachment from their brains as that being the, the ultimate, uh, 
source of, of their identity and being able to say like, okay, you're, you're not your brain. You're not your sensory experience per se. You're not any of these things in a bubble. You're, you're a combination of, of so many different things. And in a way you're kind of nothing, right? In a way you're, you, there's no way to describe what it's like to be Mark or to be Brandon and, and it's true essence. But, um, that when things do go wrong, especially on a mental health front, that that we can we can look at our brains and say, okay, if there is something that is out of balance, if there is something that is is malfunctioning, how can we actually treat that instead of saying, no, it's just I'm just a flawed person, I'm just something that is never going to change, and we would never think that way about a computer, even though that once again it's it's imperfect. Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, no, for sure. And I interviewed this guy who did this uh, TED TED talk, who's like a neuroscientist, Dr. Don Vaughn. And um, his the title of his talk was something like, um, your brain isn't a supercomputer. It's a highly adaptable, ever-forming meta supercomputer. I think that's the word that he described it. And he like talked all about that. Um, But yeah, that's... That's that's definitely something that um, I'm sure would, would uh, a lot of people would disagree with. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure you could uh, make a lot of friends with that claim. Uh, <laughs> but um, As someone who has no friends, I, I totally know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I was just going to to ask on that note. I'm curious, especially just since you've mentioned it, considering your age and the the degree of you know, relative achievement and success that you have have generated pretty early in life. Do you ever do you ever find it difficult to attach too much too much of your identity and, and your self concept to what you have accomplished and, and done thus far in life, especially because you've you've done it pretty quickly, at least I would say. Yeah, I mean I'm sure a little bit for sure. Um you know I think for me I think for me, like when I achieved early success, like very early on, I definitely struggled with that more. Mm-hmm. But I also think it kind of made me confused because like I am someone who grew up with social anxiety. And so a lot of the times like kids got validation for getting good grades, having a lot of friends, being good at sports. I, that was never me in any of those situations. And so if anything, I kind of felt like I felt the opposite mm-hmm. where like I became successful and I felt um, like a, like amount of success when it came like financially or like in certain circles, mm-hmm. but it never really gave me that sense that I felt successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if anything, I kind of struggle with the opposite, which is like, I, I don't even remember my successes. Like I feel like I've literally achieved so many different things. I just try not to uh, keep count of it. And 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 you know, there's times where, like, I just don't remember it. I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. I have like there's like this interesting proclivity in my brain mm-hmm. that I don't necessarily want to like say that I have a low self esteem because I don't. Um, but I think the biggest thing is that. Like my brain just has a normal tendency to do the opposite, which is like, which is like, do your question, what you said, like on, like just naturally speaking, like I try my best to never make sure 
like my identity is tied up with these things. Probably because I was, you know, raised to be humble. It's probably because I've freaking eaten crap yeah. <laughs> in my life. And I know what happens, you know, to, you know, with that kind of a person. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, but however, you know, I remember like, I remember when I was, I remember when I was very depressed and I was 18 and I was like suicidal. I remember one of the things that did help me climb up was actually going back to my past. And like the one silver lining that I had Mm. in my younger story was becoming like financially successful at a young age. And I remember like when I was deep down in the dumps, like never even consciously thinking about that. Like I literally never thought about that ever. I never even thought that was anything of significance. Mm. Um, which is kind of sad, but it wasn't until like I hit those low depths where then I was like, dude, Mark, you like, look at your past. Like, dude, look what you've done. Like there's some potential inside of you. Mm -hmm. And so I almost kind of naturally use it as a positive when I needed it. But, um, you know, now, no, because I honestly just view myself as kind of like, um, like a kid in the candy store. Like, I just feel like Mm -hmm. I can create whatever I want. I could do whatever I want. I don't care. Like, it doesn't matter what I did two years ago or three years ago. Um, I mean, I also like acknowledge like seasons or phases of life. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so for example, like right now I'm in a spot where I am, uh, like pausing my podcast, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's because I've done over 600 podcast episodes and, Oh yeah. You know, so there's just like a there's just like a certain part of me that's just like, all right, that was cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, like how you know what I mean? So I mean, there definitely is a lot of that. I mean, that's why successful people are successful. It's because they have like their own standards and their own past self. So yeah, I mean, I'm sure I struggle with all of that mm. to the best that I know how. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it's it's definitely it's definitely interesting to to hear that you you more so dealt with the inverse of it and i guess i'm kind of curious if if that on some level is because you don't feel like you've maybe achieved the sort of success that you aimed to in in regards to or at least the what you felt like was most lacking when you were young when you you kind of spoke to okay you you didn't really have a lot of friends or you 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 felt socially isolated or or what have you and so even though you had some of these things that other people tend to really idealize and strive for, uh, was it to some extent because you felt like other things were lacking or they just weren't as much, um, you didn't put them on a pedestal? Well, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I think I like, I, as someone who like grew up in basically like poverty, um, like growing up with food stamps, I never really had any money. And so I'm sure I had some of like that, um, like that happiness complex of like, Oh, you know, if I get money, then mm-hmm. I become successful. Right. But then that's a, it doesn't work. Um, right. but I also think that that's true with everything in life. Like, mm-hmm. I think, it, like, I think that you get the perfect, you know, wife, husband, you have the perfect kids, you, you know, do everything right. Obviously, I'm not saying you can't change your life. There's a very large margin of degree to where you can't control and you can feel better about things. Um, so you should definitely have hope. But I just think that anything that you define as like what we talked about before as being successful, mm-hmm. and then you hit it, you're always going to be depressed because your entire worldview shatters and your the illusion shatters in front of your face. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wow, 
And then you basically have to realize like now what do I have to – like now what's the dream? Now like what do I have to do? And I'm grateful that that happened to me at a young age. Um, I mean it definitely messed me up for sure. I thought the extensive psychologist about this but um, it's interesting. It's interesting yeah. for sure. But um, you know I just think it's like whatever, whatever you've gone through in life, there's always going to be a pro and a con you know, for mm. that. And um, – I'm grateful that people knew my name, but I'm also grateful that, um, you know, I was like, I was like, you know, partying like every night. I'm sure that would have even messed me up even more. <laughs> um, so it's interesting. It's interesting. But yeah, I mean, it's, it, I wrote a great article about this. If anyone wants to check it out, it's called basically, um, I believe if you Google success itself is the ultimate trap. I believe my, my article will come up number one. And that's like, my best way of like trying to describe everything I just said that people can check out. Mm-hmm. Let me just make sure that's accurate. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes for sure. Yeah. Why success itself is the ultimate track. Yeah. That's some nice SEO. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, like I said, I'll, I'll definitely, go. I'll definitely link it uh, in the show notes so that, that people can, can check it out for sure. But yeah, I mean, it certainly relates back to the point you made previously about you, you experiencing the most depression when you were on vacation, that it life in a certain mode can be this experience of just continually checking boxes of things that don't make you happy, right? That you, you just keep saying, Hey, maybe if I got this, maybe if I, if I moved to a different city or I got a new job or I was in a different relationship or whatever, you could go down the line and say, maybe that would change everything. Maybe, maybe even just going on a vacation would, uh, would lift you out of a certain state, but typically that's just not how it works out. And you, wherever you go, you, you are there. Like you, you can't go anywhere that you are not, you will be everywhere you've ever been and you can't outrun yourself. So it's to some degree, it, Anytime we do set goals, which of course I think is valuable on some level, but if you allow yourself to attach ultimate meaning or satisfaction to those goals, of course, once you get there and you realize that life is ultimately the same, even though you've proved that you can accomplish something noteworthy, it has to be in the process, right? It has to be in the journey. It's conventional wisdom, but um, yeah. And it's interesting, and I totally agree with you, but I will say that um, there's definitely a lot of, um, let's say, like kinds of people and mm. environments and situations that can definitely bring out the worst in people, right. you know? And so obviously, yeah, you're the one common denominator of life. Like you're what's there mm. every time you experience it. But then also like there's a lot of terrible people out there and there's mm-hmm. a lot of like terrible ideas and, and toxic situations and toxic cycles right. that that bring people like so many people down from, you know, having like some sort of a terrible work um, boss situation to like being in school to whatever it is to to then looking at, for example, like our body as an environment and then saying like, what are people doing to their body that's making them the worst mm-hmm. of themselves? And then you look at sort of like what's behind that and it's like, okay, it's that's like not sleeping at night. That's not exercising. That's not eating healthy. 
um, that's always being stressed out? What's contributing to that? Mm-hmm. And so that's like an interesting conversation to also go down sometime um, of like, yeah, I totally agree that everyone has to take personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. But then also there's a lot of things that definitely need to change in our society that are putting people down. And the reality is they're putting people down who are either naive or innocent and don't know. Mm. And so they have to gain that awareness and like, that's a struggle and that's life. But, um, but obviously I definitely think that we can make this world a better place for other people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's an incredibly important point to make and and I'm glad that you did because I by no means meant to, um, to be dismissive of the fact that, (laughs) that sometimes you really do just need a change or sometimes, uh, many times there's, there's, uh, external forces that, that have to be removed or that have to be changed, of course. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I think more what I was suggesting, which I'm sure you understood is that yeah. often it is most actually, um, it gives the individual the most agency. It empowers the individual the most to turn inward first. And of course, that is only so much, but to be, you know, to even give the the individual who is most oppressed, who is most a victim of their circumstance, to to make them aware that there is an internal world which is ultimately more valuable than the external, uh, that even if justice is never served, even if the world is never becomes this place that it maybe ought to be, or even if others around you never quite uh, can, can behave in the ways in which they should, uh, you still can live a satisfied and, uh, enjoyable and and valuable life, even if you never experience the sort of luck that some others are born into, you know, that even if it, of course we should still work towards these better ends and we should encourage and empower people to, to put themselves in the right circumstances in life. Um, but if we, if we direct them there first and neglect to direct people inward, it, it of course ends in this cycle of, okay, we, we won this great victory. It feels like, but then weeks later, months later, we find ourselves experiencing the very same problems that we thought maybe we'd solved, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And the other thing too, is like what I would say too, to someone who's in that situation where, like they're in a really terrible situation or environment. The thing is that it takes time, Mm -hmm. right? So it's like when I think back to like just who I was, I I generally think that I'm a very like just naturally kind person. I generally think that I'm a very social person. I generally think that I'm a a very deep person. Like I I feel like my brain is very deep, um, just naturally speaking all the time. But then I ask like, that is actually probably the reason why like I, I had social anxiety because mm-hmm. I was literally highly emotional, highly receptive to a situation. But then for me and, and you know, my unique story is that I remember growing up um, and like facing, um, you know, going living in like a small town and facing things like racism and bullying. Mm-hmm. Where I think like it's probably honestly because I had the internal faculties that actually that happened to me in the long term. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, you know, a lot of sort of my external problems had stopped when I was basically like 
done with middle school. It's like mm. beginning of high school. Nobody was being racist to me or bullying me really. But yet the same problems internally persisted. And that's mm. because like whatever happens in real life in your external, your internal, your brain, your body makes like a imprint of that. And it mm. basically just repeats it. Right. And then you find yourself like 10 years later and your brain is like running the same script as mm. if it was dealing with those things those problems in front of you, but those problems are gone. Mm -hmm. And so what I would say is like, it definitely takes time, you know, to realize that and then to be able to sort of see like the cause and effect and, and then, and then be able to individually sort of choose and then be able to see feedback, you know, in results. Because Mm -hmm. I think the big thing with that is like, you know, like a lot of people tell me like, Mark, what would you what would you like if you could go back in time <laughs> and mm. if you could talk to like the younger version of yourself when he was like, I don't know, 12 or 11, what would you say? And honestly, I, I wouldn't say anything. I would literally go back in time and be like, you know what, dude, I'm so proud of you. Keep going. That's what I would say. Because I feel like if I said like, hey, man, um, you know, I, I told him something to encourage him or motivate mm-hmm. him, maybe on his internal side. I just feel like like nothing would have changed differently, you know, mm. and I feel like a lot of the times like, um, you know, going back to like stories and like these different things of our society, like there are certain people, certain characters in our society that are meant to go through certain things mm. in order for them to become who they need to become. And so like for me, and I guess this this is like a like a like a bow on like an entire conversation, but for me, I was literally placed in a scenario every single day as a kid growing up where basically my brain was telling me to not be myself. Mark, mm. don't be yourself. 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 Fake fake being yourself. Fake being yourself. And yet today, like that's literally all I do. Today, I literally get paid and make my living off literally being myself. Mm-hmm. And I think about that. And I'm like, there's literally no way that like an adult or anybody my age or older than me can be doing. I mean, obviously I'm sure there's other people, but there's no way that someone like that can be doing that if they weren't faced against like this specific challenge for like 10 years of their lives where like this was drilled into their head. And then you meet other people who tell you like crazy, horrible stories, you know, like terrible things that have happened to them. And obviously not everything. I don't think that everything happened for a reason, but it's like, you know, that that person who, you know, I don't know, like, you know, watch their parents get murdered and they have to like take care of their brothers and sisters and like some crazy story. It's like that person is now that person has superpowers and like they're serving the world mm-hmm. at a spot where like nobody could even dream of. And so obviously it, it sucks and it's sort of like the uh, like the cost of war. Um, I would say, and obviously there are a lot of things that we can do as a society to help improve that, to make sure that people obviously aren't getting hurt more than they need to, um, just for the sake of it. Um, but I definitely do believe that I definitely do believe in like the cost of war, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. of like your battle scars, these things, like if you can manage it and if you can get a good handle on it, they make you stronger. They make you more powerful. Um, if you're able to handle it and be able to transmute that energy and then not, or just like sort of let it go loose and everywhere. And then you end up sort of distracted, drained, 
burnt out, not never able to control your focus, your mind. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it definitely is a, a great boat of the conversation. And I think it, it resonates with me a lot. You know, I think that it, it's something that is important for people to remember. And on, on kind of a final note, from my perspective, I feel like it's, it's easy to, it's easy to look back and sometimes judge ourselves, right? Um, in hindsight, we always have that 2020 where it's like, if I could have just done that, like, how come I didn't think about this differently? How come I didn't just make the right change or whatever? But I, I really found your point interesting about if you could go back and, and tell your, you know, I don't know, 12 year old self something that you wouldn't really tell him much of anything at all, because to some extent, I really do believe that we have to have a certain empathy and, and compassion with our with our previous selves, especially when we're young, that it's we often just do what we need to to get through situations. And it's it's not that we're fundamentally flawed in any way. It's just we we needed to protect ourselves. We needed to get through. And that is worth celebrating, like just be, getting through an experience and being alive on the other end of it is like is is something that I think is worth feeling good about, even if it wasn't pretty, it wasn't how you you thought it ought to be. Um, that it's it's definitely something that you can ultimately kind of hang your hat on and say, "Hey, I, I made it through that." And I even if I'm not proud of the way that it panned out, uh, that you can still kind of look back and feel good uh, in that regard. So I. I think it's an important reminder for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, the last thing that I'll say is that I remember, you know, when I was uh, suicidal, I remember one of the biggest things that changed for me was whenever I looked at the past and what had happened, I always just viewed that as almost like a, um, a past record and a past history of mm-hmm. how I should be acting and my identity. And because mm-hmm. I had, you know, a troubled past, I was always running away from that. I, that was mm-hmm. never really a source of um, of good things, mostly bad things. Always telling me like, hey, you should be acting like this. You should be acting like that. But the moment that I realized that like your your past is not the thing that is going to hold you down. I mean, it is. It is. Your past is either the thing that's going to hold you down and mm-hmm. you're going to look at it and try to run away from it every day or it's going to be the fuel that is going to like literally be like your superhero story. Like that's mm-hmm. the best way I think about it. Like every single superhero, Bruce Wayne, whoever, literally terrible things happen to them. But in that process of years and years of years of facing their own darkness, they emerged and if they're successful with it and they're able to come out um, with a true sense of success when it comes to like, you know, them being who they want to be and having, uh, you know, sort of control of the, like their mental, emotional faculties, they come out of that and they have superpowers. And so mm-hmm. the moment that I shifted how I looked at the past in general from like, oh, this is like a past, like almost record that haunts me of how I should act compared mm-hmm. to like, oh, this is literally like the terrible um, like past that every superhero has that was Mm -hmm. literally meant to create them today. When I started viewing it like that, 
everything and and in my life changed at least regarding how I viewed the past and how it affected me and then also realizing that you know what you said of like you know you did what you did at that time you know mm-hmm. and and so having that you know acceptance forgiveness and love for yourself and then also realizing that accepting yourself and forgiving and loving yourself is not a uh, it's not some it's not something you do like you know, once, like you tell them you do once, it's a practice, it's a habit. Mm-hmm. And so learning that I think has both of those things have served me tremendously. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Um, I think it's a great thing to, uh, to leave the audience with. So Mark, I, I certainly appreciate your time. I've, I've enjoyed doing this and, uh, I'll let you get out of here, but I, I hope <laughs> that we can do it again sometime soon and, and, uh, get in a little further depth on some of the things that we, we, uh, just touched the surface on. Dude, Brandon, this is awesome, man. Keep uh, keep being yourself and um, keep uh, just keep being you, man. Keep being you. I don't think you're going to have a problem with that. But um, thank you for having me. And yeah, I look forward to doing this again. Yeah, sounds good. Well, uh, thanks so for joining.